I'm going to talk in just a moment here about uh, one of my favorite presidents It's there on Mount Rushmore, and his name is Teddy Roosevelt. Now, first service, I kept saying Teddy Kennedy, and uh, they're laughing. I'm like, what are they laughing about Teddy Roosevelt for? And when somebody's laughing and you think they should not be laughing, your first response as a communicator is, my fly has to be wide open right now. I mean, seriously. So I'm checking my fly, and, and then as soon as I said Ted Kennedy again, I'm like, just go home. You know, it was just a, just a bad scene. So if you hear rumors, that's what's happening there. I want to talk just a second about Teddy Roosevelt, why I love him as a president and as an individual. Uh, Teddy was one of these guys that was always on the cutting edge. He was the first president who ever made a public appearance in a car. He was the first president to fly on a plane, first president to ever uh, go in a submarine. He's the only president that I'm aware of that actually set up a boxing ring in the White House boxed on a regular basis, and at the age of 50, uh, caught a right hand to his eye, uh, detached his retina, and he eventually went blind, and that's when he finally gave up boxing in the White House, and they've been boxing ever since. <laughs> what a guy. And when he died at the age of 60, on January 6, 1919, the then Vice President Thomas R. Marshall said this, death had to take him sleeping, for if Roosevelt had been awake, there would have been a fight. That's the kind of guy that I want to be. I hope that's the kind of person you want to be, that every day's a challenge, every day's worth a fight. And when I thought about Teddy Roosevelt, I was thinking about Father's Day, and as I was praying about Father's Day, I kept thinking about Joshua, and I thought he really did have the spirit of Teddy Roosevelt. So for just a few minutes, we're going to talk about Joshua. And we're going to talk about his, his compassion and his passion when he stood in front of the entire assembly, the entire nation of God, three times he drew a line. Three times he said, listen, you have to make a decision. And every one of these decisions, I hope you see, apply to everyone here this morning. Numbers chapter 14, let's start in verse 2. And all of the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Now, let that sink in for just a little bit. They're following Moses. They're on the threshold of the promised land. And you know what they're doing? They're grumbling one more time. They're griping one more time. Even to the point they're saying, we don't like where we live. We'd rather go back into bondage in Egypt. And we don't like our leader. Their leader is Moses. And they could care less. Why? Because they are walking and they are paralyzed by fear. Some of you this morning... When you came in here, that's what you're battling. There's something in your life that is shaking you up, and there is just fear. You haven't been able to sleep. You can't stop thinking. And this, this fear that is coming through your heart, I'm telling you, that is not of God. Verse 5, then Moses and Aaron, they fell face forward in the front of the entire Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb who were among those who explored the land, they tore their clothes. Now look at verse 9. 
Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Now, if you've got your Bibles open and you were to turn over to chapter 13, all you need to read is the first two verses. You see, Moses had a research and development team, 12 spies. They had one mission, go into the land, gather information, bring it back. You are not a decision-making team. You are research and development. But they thought their job was to sway the entire nation. And all they did is they created fear. Why? Because in their mind, the odds were against them. But see, that's where faith comes in. When we truly put our faith in God, the odds are never against us. Because it's not about us. It's about God. But an entire nation, even though Joshua drew the line, they could care less. They just walked away from God. I would love for you sometime, all of you, if you don't know who this is, to Google his life. And his name is George Mueller. Mueller was a prayer warrior back in the 19th century. And he would pray these outrageous prayers for money to roll in to build orphanages all over England. Thousands of kids came to Christ. Thousands of kids had a home because of a guy who begged, literally begged God every day. And George Mueller said this, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory of God, that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. On the west side, we've got a gentleman by the name of Don Force, and his name, Force, really does uh, apply to him. He lives life with passion. And a few years ago, he had a stroke. And I want you to hear his story at this time. Seven and a half years ago, I had a stroke. My ability to write, speak, was gone. And I didn't know that, but my whole right side of my body was not. Uh, we have 206 muscles in the body, 103 of them was not functional. I was 54 and I was translated into an 84 year old body. I began to be afraid. I said to my father in heaven, how can I make it down here? I don't know who I am. You know, the Bible says that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I worked out for 30 years and now I can do nothing. How does one live like that? I was begging God to take me home. Then I came to the awareness that, okay, this is a test like Job. So I fashioned myself to be like Job. All right, okay, I'm in, I'm in. I want to ask you, I need your grace every day. I need it. I can't live this way. I still can't believe it. The next day I woke up and the grace was heretofore was abstract, is being concrete. I felt God's grace. I know 
that God is gonna heal me in time. I said to my father in heaven, I can't believe you leave me here without anything to do. You know, that's the most cruel thing possible. You gave me gifts. You trained me. And so I know uh, he's not cruel, he's good. So I'll wait, I'll wait. I'm still Don Forrest, warts it all, but I know discipline. And that is where I gather the phrase from the army, adapt, improvise, overcome. I'm an overcomer, by golly. I have one life to live. It's a unique life. Nobody has lived my life, but God knows me. That's the, that's the best sermon you're gonna to hear today. You see, what Don has taught me in the short time that I've got to spend with him is faith is always moving forward beyond our fears. I mean, literally, uh, every day he wakes up with a challenge. Uh, I remember I was over there one day and he had told me exactly where he had mowed and how far he was gonna mow the next time. I mean, that's how he drives himself every day. Now, here's what I love the most about his story. Uh, Don is an adjunct professor at Ivy Tech and he teaches communications. So can you imagine students coming to him and saying, I'm just nervous about talking in front of the class. Yeah, deal with it, you know what I'm saying? We cannot live in fear. Turn over to Joshua chapter one, verse seven. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all that the law of my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, let's read verse nine together. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Think about that. Maybe that's where you're at today. I just need strength. I just need courage. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're facing a huge decision. Be strong. Be courageous. See, the second time that he drew the line in front of the entire nation, he's challenging them one more time. We're going to take the promised land. You notice he's not sending in spies. They're taking the land. Now, here's what's amazing about this particular time in his life. Do you know what he's doing? He's taking the leadership mantle from who? Moses. Moses just died. Can you imagine following Moses? Can you imagine the pressure of following and leading under that circumstance? I mean, I can't even imagine the immense pressure that he had to feel, and yet he led. You see, all of us at times are called to lead. Everybody in this room, you are called to lead. And you may say, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't have the gift of leadership. It doesn't matter. God still calls you to lead. 
You lead in your home. You lead at your work. You lead. Don't use excuses that you cannot lead because you can lead. Here's just a few over the years that I've heard from folks about leading. The first one is, you don't understand. I'm an introvert. Well, God uses introverts. Matter of fact, I want to just share with you briefly about those who follow great leaders, and some of them work out, some of them don't. Some of them are extroverts, some of them are introverts, but I want you to listen to this first one. Andrew Johnson, do you know who Andrew Johnson is? He's the president who followed Abraham Lincoln. Number one, he had a drinking problem. Number two is he didn't carry out the vision of Lincoln, and he escaped impeachment by one vote. Babe Dahlgren, only a baseball enthusiast would know who that is. He's the guy who took over first base for Lou Gehrig. He was accused of taking drugs, falsely accused. He spent his entire adult life to clear his name. It's so sad to follow a great leader and not do well. But there's another great leader who did exceptionally well, but we don't know a lot about him. But he's an amazing guy. His name is Roy Disney. Months before Walt Disney died, he was at a luncheon with some pretty high spenders. They had no idea that Disney was dying of cancer. Of course, Roy knew. And as Walt Disney was walking out of the restaurant, one of the biggest uh, spenders in that group walked up and said, now, Walt, what would happen if you walked out in front of a bus right now and you were killed? And Walt Disney did not even hesitate. He said, absolutely nothing. My brother Roy runs this company. I just piddle around. And months later, he died. And Roy Disney came out of retirement and he began leading Disney in a visionary way. And you know what he did? He honored his brother. Everything about his brother's dreams, the location, the name, everything. And people were saying, your brother was a dreamer. He said, doesn't matter. We're going to do it his way. Now, next time you're at Disney World, I got to tell you something. Roy Disney did a pretty good job leading can you imagine following Walt Disney? You see, we can step up and lead. Even this morning, if you feel like, you know what, you don't understand, John. Um, I'm an introvert. You just don't get it. There's a great book. It's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World that Won't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. And in her data, and she's done extensive research, 33 to 50% of all people are introverts. I don't mean a little bit extreme introverts. But she said what people don't realize is introverts are amazing leaders. They just don't lead the way everybody in America seems to say a leader should lead. They lead, but we aren't very good sometimes about listening. I love this quote. It says, don't underestimate me because I'm quiet. I know more than I say. I think more than I speak, and I observe more than you know. Here's some famous introverts. Albert Einstein, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates, Rosa Park, Warren Buffett, Lady Gaga, Johnny Carson, Jay-Z. Introverts have so much impact and influence, we just need to understand. And some of you who are introverts here today, you may think, are you serious? You really think I can lead? And the answer is absolutely you can lead. Absolutely. Another excuse I hear is, um, you don't understand, I have baggage. Who doesn't have baggage? I've had folks say, no, you don't understand, I've been through a really bad divorce, 
or you don't understand, man, I, I just made a mess out of the last job where I was at. Or, no, no, you don't understand. I've got this addiction. I, don't, I just don't know how God could possibly use me. Here's the deal. We are all a mess. Everyone in this room has baggage. And if you don't think you're a mess, then honestly, you're a mess because you don't get it. You just don't get it. There's a great church out in the Denver area called Flatirons, led by Jim Bergen. And I love their story. And when they started, one of the things I love, two words, I believe, transformed that church. And the two words are, me too. Me too. And we need to understand how important those words really are. As a believer, when you sit down with somebody who is not a believer, they need to hear those words from you. Me too. I have insecurities. I have fears. I have days that uh, I struggle with my faith. I face temptations. I've made ridiculous mistakes. I've got baggage. And you know what? Through the baggage, you can lead. Think if God only used people who didn't have any baggage. We wouldn't even have a Bible. I mean, seriously. Moses had baggage. You can't, who didn't have baggage? You may this morning be struggling with, can God use me? Yes, he can. And then the third excuse is, I would love to lead, but I'm just not 100%. I got to tell you, some things about leadership is you have to play hurt. That's just not an option. There are times that you don't have it together and you're playing hurt. How many mothers and grandmothers do we have here? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Let's talk about playing hurt, can we? All right. Hey, I know it's Father's Day, but who holds the cards? You know what I'm saying? Come on. You want to talk about playing hurt? I mean, I just think about watching my mom and day in and I mean, I'm just, think about playing hurt. We are called as leaders to play hurt. There's a, an amazing quote from the movie, We Bought a Zoo. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Literally, 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. 20 seconds. Think years before, 40 years before, when Joshua stood before the assembly. In 20 seconds, if they would have just decided to move forward. To move forward in faith, not choose to be paralyzed by fear. And then last of all, Joshua 24. In Joshua 24, he's literally for the third time standing in front of the entire assembly. Now he's at the very end of his life. And now he's delivering probably the most powerful, I think, uh, one of the most powerful verses in the entire Old Testament to the nation. Verse 14 says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away your gods, your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, verse 15, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites. In the land whose you, you are now living. Now read this with me. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. There it is. He said, listen, you got another decision to make and I'm drawing the line. What are you going to do for your family? What are you going to do 
for your family? What are you willing to do after I'm gone for God? Are you willing to be the men and the women that God's called you to be? And so let me just talk to the men here for just a second. Sherwood Oaks, interestingly enough, uh, Jason Lannon did an extensive spiritual survey uh, in our marriage ministry uh, with couples 20 to 40 years old. Nearly 100 folks did this survey. It's interesting, part of the survey, they specifically asked the men about spiritual leadership, whether they felt equipped to spiritually lead in their homes. Only one in 10 men said they felt like they were spiritually equipped. Now think about that. These are the men from our congregation saying, man, I just feel like I am over my head. So you know what that means? It means it's our responsibility as a church to do everything we can to get men connected with other men. Because I gotta be honest with you, this iron sharpens iron for men, they really need other men to navigate through life and to make these tough life choices, they need other men. And I don't mean just Wednesday night. One of our key visions is we're gonna do everything we can to get men with smaller groups of men so that they can really begin to share life because this is hard. Living your life every day, giving it to Jesus Christ, this is not an easy journey. And we need one another. That's why our mission is that every man will be hungry to live for Christ who died for us. Every man hungry. Because let's be honest, we are not winning this battle as a nation when it comes to our men. Matter of fact, I've got two words for men that all men need to hear. Two words. It would change everything. Show up. Show up. We've got way too many men completely running away from responsibilities, running away from family, doing everything they can to chase their dreams, and they lose sight of God's dreams and the dreams of their family. And let me be honest with you, we are paying a high, high price. 24 million young people right now are living in fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts, they can trail it straight back to fatherless homes. 85% maximum security in Georgia, 85 of those in those jails come from homes where there is not a father present. And then they did some extensive research on juveniles with uh, the idea of uh, carrying guns and drug deals. And when they ran it right through the same thing, the increase, it was a 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs. Why? There's not a dad in the home. We need dads to show up. I gotta be honest, all the men that are here today, thank you. You're here today. So I'm not picking on you. You made a tough decision because let me tell you, there's a hundred of other choices of what you could have done, but you showed up today. Let me tell you, you just gotta keep showing up. And I applaud Sherwood Oaks because of the willingness, the willingness that you have to go to the messy places. And we gotta keep moving towards the mess. We gotta keep moving towards those who don't have fathers in the home. It's not a quick fix, but it's the only way we're gonna have true transformation is to move into those areas. Listen, folks, I gotta tell you, I grew up in a church two years ago that closed their doors 
But I'll tell you what they did. They invested in me. They, they spent so much time just loving me, not giving up on me. And that's what I ask of all of us. Are we willing to go and to be the example and to be the light that Christ called us to be? Are we willing to just show up, keep showing up? Do not run. You be the man God has called you to be. You let Jesus Christ get a hold of you and you will change the world. I hope you believe that with all of your heart. I hope you believe that with all your heart. On July 20th, 2014, uh, the sports world was blown away when a young golfer by the name of Rory McIlroy won the British Open. But that wasn't the real story. The real story was what happened behind the scenes. When he was 15, his dad went to a, a booking agent in England. And with the odds 500 to 1, he bet that his son would win the British Open before he was 25 years old. And when he held up the trophy, that same day, Mr. McElroy received a check for $171,000. You know why? He believed in his kid and he invested in his kid. That's what God's done for everybody here today. He believes in you and he has invested in you and he sent his son to die for you. Now, what are you gonna do about it? It's your call.